Hello and welcome to the Talking Leadership TV Best Practice Network podcast series. Thanks for joining us. And I'd like to thank Kevin Bennett, the network facilitator of the Best Practice Network for Queensland for co-hosting this podcast. The network has members in Australia, New Zealand and Vietnam and their guiding mantra of inspire to challenge, support to succeed helps to facilitate a range of activities, events and online forums which are aimed to connect like-minded organisations to fast-track their performance through shared learning, expertise, experience and resources. The Best Practice Network is focused on improving knowledge of best practice and developing leadership capability is at the core of what it delivers to its members. Kevin's had operational leadership roles across multiple sectors and industries He has a passion for continuous improvement and lifelong learning with a focus on developing capabilities of the many teams he's worked with. Our guest today is Mark Hands, the CEO and Executive Principal of the Australian Industry Trade College Limited. The college is a leading senior school with an industry focus with over a thousand young people across six campuses. Mark has extensive experience in the construction industry, youth work and education and was the principal of an independent Peter 12 school in Queensland for 16 years before establishing the college in 2008 as a response to a need for an alternative style of senior education with a training environment to produce the best quality apprentices. More than 90% of the young people at any time at the six college campuses in Southeast Queensland graduate with their senior school certificate and an apprenticeship outcome. Mark began his life as a tradesman and carpenter himself and has since completed three degrees, achieving a Master's of Education on the topic of industry-based schooling. He's also made leadership a central pillar and necessary habit of his company strategy over a 30-year career in schooling. He defines the Australian Industry Trade College as a school created by industry for industry. The college's unmatched industry connections have been a trailblazer for industry and a game changer for education, resulting in significant and sustainable employment outcomes for over 1,400 young people. I'd like to thank everyone for their support of this podcast across the Best Practice Network and those that follow Talking Leadership TV. More importantly, I'd like to thank Kevin, my co-host, and our guest today, Mark. But enough from me, I'll hand over to Kevin to kick off today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this Best Practice Network Talking Leadership podcast. And uh, great to have you back. And we're off to a really fantastic start for 2024. So, Eric, welcome back. Looking forward to a good year, but also in particular, the chat we're going to have today. Yeah, same, Kevin. Uh, Welcome to you and welcome to our guest. Yeah, so with pleasure, we'd love to welcome Mark. Mark Hans is the CEO of the Australian Industry Training College um, and AITC, as we as we like to know them. So welcome, Mark. It's great to see you, Kevin and Eric. Uh, lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me here today. I will uh, correct you, Kevin, by saying it's the Australian Industry Trade College. Trade College. Thank Sorry. you very much. Yeah, school, not a uh, an article. That was the. I was just checking you were listening, Mark, just to make sure <laughs> we're cleared in from there. I so, am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> great news. Great news. All right. So really looking forward to this. So we're gonna we're gonna allow Mark to um, just talk about his career and and how he's got to the position he's in today. Um, we're going to really focus on leadership in in education and training, which I think will be an excellent topic. And and then we're going to start to bounce around what we're seeing out from a manufacturing and, and business perspective. And finally, some great tips from Mark for leaders that are out there. So, Mark, looking for this first thing is to hand over to you. Uh, you're currently the CEO. So just a, a brief update on what's been your leadership journey to get to where you are today. Okay. Uh... <clears throat> Brisbane Grammar School, went to university, studied biochemistry, 
came out, finished a degree, then I became a carpenter. Didn't like biochemistry. I joined the building industry and uh, following carpentry, building all over the north side of Brisbane, ended up as a um, uh, youth worker. Uh, I've always worked with young people and then I ended up in schooling. Uh, I was a young principal, was asked to take over a, was actually asked to go into a school and close it down. Uh, once I got into the school, I realised, wait on, this thing's got legs. And uh, that was the, really the beginning of my leadership journey. I, I took a place that was uh, dying and uh, breathed some over 16 years. I stayed there and uh, left there at about 41 um, as a, in a private school principal. Then uh, I sort of I left education. I was a bit tired of education. It was all a bit like a um, you know, a mince machine, I, I thought, at the stage. There wasn't a lot of opportunity for creativity. I went to the Gold Coast, uh, started my own business in a number of things, did everything from fish and chip shop selling to uh, uh, strategic planning. So as you can see, my life has been agile, moving from one thing to another. And then I had a group of industry people approach me in 2006 and basically said, you are a, uh, an academic and a tradesman. We would like you to consider building for us an independent senior school that served industry needs. I'd never heard about that before. Um, and I said to them, what does it look like? And they said, we have no idea. If you get this job, your job is to go out and talk to industry and ask them what do they want and then do that. And I thought, wow, what a great. Now, at that time, I thought, what a great experience. I think looking back, it was a tough road. But, uh, you know, we now have a school, AITC, six campuses in southeast Queensland, 1,300 young people, and, uh, you know, it's going gangbusters. It's, uh, it creates young people who are both educated to grade 12, and last year 95% of them went into industry careers. Yeah, which I, I think is a fantastic achievement there. So just how many people in the, in, uh, in AITC now? Uh, a bit over 200 staff. Uh, started with uh, two, and uh, now it's over 200 across six campuses. Yeah, so... Yeah. It's a bit like a virus, you know, it's a, and, and trying to run one organisation is one thing and then trying to uh, run six, that's a whole new level of management and leadership. I yeah, no, I can imagine. I can imagine. So I, I want to say we're going to explore into leadership and education training, but that's a great position you're in. Uh, hopefully people see it as a great position. It's about, I don't know what it looks like, make it happen. So what, what, was, your, what was your style then? Because you could that could have gone in a whole bunch of different ways. What was your leadership style in, in making that start to come together and, and crystallise? Yeah, well, the truth was uh, th there was really no, uh, no, no clear plan. Uh, there was an idea of an outcome. And uh, my leadership style was to go out and talk to industry. I talked to young people in industry. Interestingly, and I know we're focusing this around education, uh, when I would go out and say I want to create an independent school for uh, for industry outcomes, um, it was mainly educators who told me it could never be done. No one would pay. No yeah. one would. Uh, it, it couldn't be done. Um, industry thought it was a great idea, but were very sceptical about education ever being anything other than the school on the corner, which they felt quite uh, estranged from. And young people kind of looked at me and said, uh, you know, schooling always tells me that if I want a career in industry, I can do better than that. So my style was, um, uh, I think uh, Richard uh, Branson always says, if you can, if you if you can find something that people are complaining about and really angry about, 
there's a business. Yeah. Solve the problem and you've got a business. Now, as with as with all these one word or one sentence things, it sounds so simple. Um, but gradually through listening to the market, listening to young people, listening to industry, and even listening to, I had to listen to education because they were the ones paying some of the money, you know, it's uh, grants uh, that we get as well as fees. Um, we began to put together this idea and it became, it was amazing because as we started to say, we've got an idea and here's the idea. I actually had parents signing up to join the college and we had no location. We had parents' first question was always, where's this going to be? And I would say, I, I don't know. Um, but isn't that a great idea? And they said, sign me up. And so during 2007, I was getting people signing up and we were looking for land and looking for buildings. And by, by the 1st of January, we had all of that buildings. We were in an old shopping centre and we've now built millions of dollars of facilities. So the leadership style was very much about once I got a picture of the frustration out there that people had, I became very passionate about we have an answer here. And I just knew people needed an answer, but the answer we had was going to require people to bother. So what I needed to help people say, uh, understand is if you keep doing things the way you're doing them, you're going to get the same outcomes. You've got to come with us and do it differently. And uh, gradually people came on board, you know, people who were, I call industry leaders started to say, yep. And, um, you know, um, now we've got, you know, we've got thousands of young people. So it was kind of relentless. It was passionate. It was probably a little naive. But I think uh, any entrepreneurial leader has to have this deep commitment and deep passion because you're just going to get disappointed about uh, nine o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock in the day, two o'clock in the afternoon and seven o'clock that night for about the first five years. Yeah. Just just an observation, Mark. Um, we're talking about leadership here and uh, in my travels talking to people in both leadership positions and from an entrepreneurial um, view of the world, when Kevin asked, well, what was it like? I think uh, ordered chaos um, comes to mind and it, it seems interesting. Well, it's interesting for someone like me who's into what does it mean to be an effective leader that you had to cross multiple boundaries from you know, setting some goals and challenging status quo and being entrepreneurial without missing the point that you weren't developing a um, a product, you're developing a service to um, hit a market that the traditional schooling system may not necessarily be geared for. And so anyone who's listening to this might say, well, you challenge the status quo and, and schools traditional schools, whether they're in the public system or private system, aren't geared for this or don't want to engage in it. I think it's a structural set of problems that you had to challenge. And I'm not surprised that some teachers were sceptical, but more to the point, I'm I'm not surprised industry were sceptical as well, because there there has been a long disconnect between high schools and graduating students and even universities and graduating students with an assumption that they'll potentially be ready to enter the world of work. And depending on what your philosophical position is, and I, I take no view on this because I think it's all valuable, university is one pathway out of high school, but so is trades, 
So is starting your own business mm-hmm. or working and just going out and learning what it means to work and work your way from the bottom up. And I think that philosophy is sometimes lost on some schools because their function is not to get you work ready, is to get you educated to learn how to learn. That doesn't necessarily mean there's a connection to the world of work. So that that gap is interesting and it doesn't just exist in your sector. I think it exists in the university sector as well. So just just an observation. That's an interesting pathway, Mark. It's a medium and varied and a bit of a patchwork quilt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. Exactly right. And I think just to set the scene, um, when I came over for, to Australia 2008, I actually joined into the TAFE sector, Mark. Um, so down, down in southwest Victoria. And part of my initial role was industry liaison. So, and, and I think I was, I th- I'm almost certain I think the start off was there is about they both were going like this. None of you, but they don't understand us. We're doing it right. Everyone's doing it wrong and uh, coming and bringing that together. But like you say, you know, and I've heard as part of leadership is, is having that stakeholder perspective and taking the time out to, to listen and learn and actually say, do you know, we're actually talking about the same problem here. It might slightly be different words, but. You know, we've all got this passion, and I know within teaching and like nursing, um, there's a real passion for the right outcome here. It's just we've just become misaligned or disconnected, and and it sounds like you've done that same sort of thing. You've just had to connect them back in and start to come up with the, with that with that common language. Um, and and it sounds so easy when you've got there. It's a bit, a bit like the Richard Branson thing, you know. It's a, everyone goes, well, Mark, that makes sense. Why why did it take you all that long? You know, but yeah, obviously that's part of the challenge from a leadership point of view. If it'd been that easy, it would have been fixed many many years ago. If I can make two points there, um, firstly, uh, whenever I'm talking to our teams about leadership, I'll often draw on the when a leader turns because I think a leader. Uh, Powerful leadership is just one of the most powerful uh, impacts in the world. You know, it can head people in a good direction, the bad direction, to be clear. Um, and the idea is to be a good leader. So what I'll do is I'll draw all these arrows on a, on a wall and I'll say, this is, this is what a leader normally comes up. And the arrows are all heading in different directions. They're all north, south, east, west, southwest, all that sort of thing. And then I'll draw a big arrow around the outside and I'll say, that's the leader. And the leader's job is to get all those arrows starting to head in one direction. And now it sounds so simple, but mm. but there's that sense of seeing yourself as capturing the imagination of all those different arrows, most of which are going to disagree with you to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you're right, but somehow you start to connect with people's souls and some people leave and some people stay until you're really where we are now. We've got a group of people who are all heading in this AITC direction and see it as even although we call ourselves deliberately different, they actually say, yeah, but it, and it's heading in a different direction. There's one other point too, that um, as I was listening to you guys, as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, I often get annoyed when I get people emailing me about their idea. Um, this is back in 2007. I used to go knocking on doors mm-hmm. because I always thought I've got to sit in front of people because leadership is about communication and that's way more than words. So I used to sit down and I'd take people for coffee and lunch, I'd shout them whatever, to try and help them see what I was seeing. And it wasn't just an intellectual journey, it was an emotional journey. Um, And I think that's where I was really successful. So we're talking about leadership style. I say to leaders, um, email is a very poor instrument for leadership. 
one-on-one, learning how to communicate, learning how to listen is a powerful style. That's that's uh, just in response to your question, Kevin. Yeah, no, that's great. And I've just got about four or five channels we could go down here, So, <laughs> which I think is quite interesting. But quick question, because I know Eric loves this one, Mark, while we're here. Are leaders born or made? Oh, yeah. Look, I think I think they can be made. Yep. I, I do believe that I do believe they're um, but there is a line a really good leader needs to cross. And I watch people and I'll say this, um, there is a particular line that I watch people move from management to leadership. And I can tell when they haven't crossed that line. And I, I say to our, our teams of leaders, I say, um, management is like a scuba diver swimming around under the ocean and leadership is an astronaut and you cannot swim your way into space. Leadership is going out into a totally different climate, seeing things totally differently. You must become something very different. Mm-hmm. And it's only the people who decide I cannot manage my way into leadership. I must become something different. I have to I have to grow and become something different. And there's a line where people cross and you feel very vulnerable when you cross that line. I was talking passion before. People often don't like being passionate about something because it might be wrong. You know, they might get it wrong. And I say, well, you're never going to build anything. So there's if you're not, if you don't cross that line of passion and and throw yourself into a point where you're saying, I'm going to do this. And then you just got to figure out how to do it. I'm sounding a bit reckless, but I think you can be taught how to be a leader. Mm-hmm. But I think the real key is when a person comes to that line and thinks, do I want to become what leadership will require? And I've watched a lot of people say, no, I will lead where I am. And I've watched others just dynamically take off once they've crossed that line. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's a choice, Mark. I think, and thank you for stealing that question, uh, Kevin. Looks like you've been learning from the previous discussions. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, um, and and I've been told this before by very senior leaders that, um, and they don't tell me what the formula is, obviously, because it's their own IP. But when when you get that sense of who's ready to move, um, you have to build the structures for them to be successful because when you when that when someone makes that decision or you know that they're ready to go they may not have all the skill sets required to get to where they're going to and the more important bit and I think um I think I'd like to ask you about this is how often do you think people in your roles or similar you know other similar leaders ask their questions of their senior people do you actually want to lead or do you want to be a content expert, because I, I I truly believe that that question doesn't get asked enough of people. So it's one thing for, and I, and I can hear it in your voice that you're passionate about you what you do, but not everyone is passionate about becoming a leader. So how often do you just simply ask the question, is this what you want or do you want something else? I, um, I, and I'll say, um, I can really answer that honestly, regularly. Um, and I, I will sit in, I was sitting in front of one of my, um, very senior people the other week and I could see them prevaricating on a certain thing and and it was all about stepping into something that might go wrong and they might be held accountable and I could see them trying to figure out how to solve it before they decided and I just said to them look Frank it wasn't Frank's name I said what do you want 
tell me what you want in life. And then I told them the story. I said, I went through a very dark period uh, just before I took over the AOTC. You know, I had some pretty bad illness in my family and things had gone really bad. And I remember a guy said that to me one day. He said, Mark, what do you want? And I, I remember my response was, I said, I want to lead. I don't care whether I'm leading the Greyhound Association <laughs> or, you know, the immigrants from Zimbabwe. I said, I, 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 I want to lead something and make a difference. Now, as it turns out, I ended up at the AOTC, but I really knew then uh, that uh, leadership was what I wanted to do. And you're so right, Eric. Uh, people have to make their minds up, write it down, and then take it really seriously because it will demand uh, so much of you. And, of course, it's exciting. I mean, my voice, I love being a leader. That doesn't mean I, I don't get to the end of a day and say, what am I doing this for? Yeah. Sometimes it can be so thankless. So, uh, yeah, which I think you're right. It's that passion. It's that persistence. It's that. And, and I love the naivety of it. You know, you've got to realize that, you know, you're not you've got to you, you're not going to be that leader tomorrow or there's going to be things you don't know, which is another question which you're going to come into about how do you then navigate that that pathway and that journey. So I want to just just move on. I'm sure there'll be other things in here is about I want to just talk about the education sector now, because obviously, I mean, uh, Eric has studied and is a doctor and obviously you've led and I, I've been part of it as well. And it's, I want to go back to your point about, you know, there, there's, there's, there is this real passion in these, some of these careers, nurses, teachers who just got, they want, they're in it for the right reason um, and almost do well despite the system. I think in, in, in some cases they go above and beyond. So what type of leadership, because again, there's a bit of, I've got my passion. I've got this, I've got, you know, I've got what I want to do with it. In the education and the training sector, how do you bring those people along that journey? Because because it's just there's a lot of, re- a lot of control, regulation, RTOs. There's all this. Yeah, you can go and do that if you want, but watch out for this, or you've got to tick those boxes. Um, and there's a lot of history around around that as well. So just reflecting on it now, you've got this. I I've never had a problem with industry saying this is what we need because they know they're the end end result i never usually have a problem with the senior leadership in a training or it's that it's that mid-level and and leadership from that point of view so if you've got any 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 reflections on how you just managed to bring that out uh yeah i do it's a great question uh i think i've read some articles about um successful ceos of profit for-profit companies taking over as uh, chancellors or vice chancellors of universities in, in America and being chewed up within the first 12 months yeah. because their leadership style is very hierarchical, um, sort of profit-making, thinking everyone's working for money and to make a million dollars, and they find out that the education sector is basically made up of people who are altruistic yeah. and who want to make a difference, and yeah. they're motivated by different things. And, you know, look, they're, they're educated, so they're, they're cynical uh, deep down, doesn't mean they're negatively cynical, but they'll say, why? You know, why, why should I change? So I think there is a very different leadership style. And I, I would, um, if you're going to get educators to come with you, then you have to answer one question relentlessly. Uh, there's probably two questions. Um, where are we going and how are we going to get there? And if I had a young leader listening to this, I would say, if you answer that question five times a week, that's not enough. 
you have to continually say, remind them what the vision is, be really clear about the vision. So, for example, at the AOTC, I say, we are the Australian Institute of Sport of Industry. That's what we are. Mm-hmm. We create the best. We're not a school for disengaged young people, although we have our the same share as everyone else, but we're about the best young people. And, of course, schools are not always like that. They, they tend to, they, the teachers will tend to think, well, you know, what is best and what's, you know, let's all get everyone moving forward together. So I say I remind them all the time that, that, that what our vision is and then I remind them all the time of these are the kind of behaviours that are going to be required to, to get us there. So, for example, behaviours like um, uh, receiving feedback because that's what's going to happen in industry. Um, I remind them that industry uh, requires uh, educated young people. The best industry required educated young people. So do not give up on the young person. Oh, yeah, but we're only a vet school. No, 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 we're not a vet school. We're an industry school. <laughs> so two things where you're saying relentlessly cast that vision, communicate, 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 communicate all the time. And that tells people where you're going. And then the second one is, um, why are we doing this and, and how are we going to get there? And, and I would say, when my leaders say to me, what's the toughest part of being a leader? I say, just the boring, relentless reminding of everyone all the time on who we are, where we're going, how we're going to get there and why we're doing this. Yeah, That's how to lead educators. Eric, you got something there? Uh, yeah, so the understanding your why in leadership is critically important. I think for me that would rank top of the list that you just described, Mark, the how do we get there and what what resources we need and, and what is the philosophy I think is the are the bedrocks of your why. And if you have, you know, Mark, Mark Hands will have his why as part of what he does in leadership, that needs to be communicated to your senior leaders. And if they share that vision, then getting those arrows, as you said before, to point in the right direction becomes a lot easier. And I think what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's a culture bit here too, is that traditional schooling, traditional vet, traditional universities have an education philosophy and a culture that is unique to those institutions. When you talk about an industry or trade school, it's a little different to their philosophy. It doesn't make it better or worse. It's just different. And mm-hmm. um, when you're coming up against a profession and look, I've got teachers in my family. I have the utmost respect for anyone who teaches. I think it, like you said, it's a th- it can be a thankless job, but there's a culture there and it, it's inculcated in how you learn to be a teacher. My son is learning to be a music teacher when he talks to me, I sometimes don't get where he's coming from, but I have to remind myself there's there's a way that they get taught how to teach, and that's great. I think what you're um, highlighting very significantly, and I think it's a good takeaway for anyone listening to this, is that set your culture up so that it is geared to what you need it to do and then enforce that culture by demonstrating that you live the culture and you live your values because people will smell the BS very quickly if those two things mm-hmm. aren't aligned. That's just, just an experience thing from me. So, yeah, it's interesting you say what you say there. I, I can understand that it will be a continuing battle when you talk about an industry school because really 
the end user for those kids, those young people, sorry, that you're graduating is an industry that's telling people like Kevin and me they don't have the skills we need or um, they're not quite there. Why is that? And if you can help fill that gap, then great. It's not not a not an attack on the traditional schooling system. You provide an alternative uh, source of uh, potential highly skilled young people that have a slightly different focus, and that that has some value. Yes, yes, and I think I think um, you know if if you're going to start up an independent school, for example, or or a business. I remember hearing Jim Collins. I heard Jim Collins, uh, the writer of um, Good to Great, you know, most people know Jim Collins. And I heard him in a conference years ago and he said um, his one-line advice to every business person or leader was this. If, if your organisation closed down tomorrow and your customers can go down the road and get the same service, you are in trouble. Now, when a, when a, when a school like ours shows up and says we are not going to be about academic op1s we're not going to be about sport we're not going to be about this 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 we're going to be about technical intelligence business intelligence emotional intelligence that's what we're going to do well of course the educator says but what about all the other things and we're saying well we're not going to do those things Mm -hmm. so we're not for everyone and so a really good business and a really good leader says we are this we are not that and where education finds it hard is because of the altruistic nature. They want to try and be all things to all men. And a school like this says, no, we are not going to try and be all things. We're going to do this thing really well. And that that sounds really inspiring, but I tell you, it's exhausting. I've got grey hair here. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that grey hair is there because I'm just relentlessly reminding people of these things. So, Yeah, yeah. So I want to pick up on the, and it's a terminology that I picked on really early talking to some of your team, Mark, and uh, it's come up today. This whole young people, which I think is really, I think it's a, it's a great sign of what you're trying to do because it's easy to talk about their students or their customers, so the, the, the young people. And having met some of them, and they, they've been actually been involved with some of our events on, on Brisbane, they've, um, they've totally impressed and, and blown away a lot of people. Um, what sort of things are you, from a leadership point of view, and I, I know it's a bit of a leading question because I know some of the things your teams do, but wh- how are you sharing this leadership and what, what it's about and what you expect of them when they're with you and then ultimately when they're then out in their workplace? Um, okay. I, I, the Another thing I would say to young leaders is that, uh, and uh, Eric made the uh, very, I say, perspicacious point before, is that leadership is about building culture. And, uh, you know, a culture is more important than strategy. I've been into organisations that have almost no strategy, but a fantastic culture and the thing's going really well. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the opposite. So I would say to any leader, uh, language is absolutely paramount to culture. My wife and I, my wife is a Francophile. She speaks French. And so we have uh, lived in France for a while. And the thing you find out about France is that, um, you know, if you really want good service, then speak French. Um, and in the same way, uh, you, so therefore, to, to fit into that French culture, you've got to have that language. And I think when you're creating an organisation with the AITC, one of the first things I did, I used to meet with the staff um, when we started on the 2nd of January 2008. 
um, and I'd have what we call a stand-up, a 10 or 15-minute meeting with them every morning for four years, every single morning. And I would remind them about our values and our habits. And one of the things I would pull them up on would be, this is the language we're going to use. Um, we are not a disengaged school. We are a school for the best young apprentices, for example. We're going to call them uh, young people, not kids, because young people sort of stand up and say, hey, you're treating me like a young adult. Mm -hmm. uh, we say to young people, you do your pleases and thank yous. Um, we're going to teach young people to look you in the eye. And you, you, you've got to talk to people and, and take an interest in them. Don't Just don't talk about yourself. Now, this is all about language. Um, we even call the teachers team leaders. Um, they all call me Mark around the school because I want them to. In fact, I had a young guy come up to me today and he said, hi, sir. And I stopped and I said, wait on, let's play that again. Yeah. Walked back down the corridor and uh, he came up and said, oh, g'day, Mark, shook my hand. So my point there, um, Kevin, is that whole area of, of language is incredibly important. And I still, uh, again, I was a new staff member this morning and he went like this. He said, oh, so Mark, when I'm with the kids, oh, I mean, young people. And he sort of looked at me and I said, well done. <laughs> so I, I just let him know yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to yeah. pull you up on language. And yeah. of course, that can also be tiring mm -hmm. to, to be continually saying to your staff, this is the way we're going to think and speak about our values and these sort of things. So uh, incredibly important to talk through language. Um, again, led, led from the top. And, and I actually say to my, uh, my staff, um, if you hear me say something that's wrong, call me out. And they do. You know, they'll, they'll come up to me in the middle of a meeting. They'll say, Mark, you just said kids. Mm. And I think, okay, good on you. You know, that's great. So it's that yeah. kind of. I think um, there's a book. There's a book written years ago called Passion for Excellence by Nancy Austin and Tom Peters. Mm -hmm. Great book, and um, one of their chapters is called Cult-like Cultures. Um, now, most of us don't like the word cult mm. because we think of some religious, you know, idiot out in the in the mountains. But cult is where we get the word culture from. Mm. And of course, if you've got a cult-like culture in Hewlett Packard. You go to Hewlett Packard back in the 80s, they had a way of talking to each other. And if you don't talk that way, then you get pulled up. Mm. And, you know, we call it this, we call it that. So I think one of the best letters I've ever got from a parent, <laughs> true, this is about three years ago, he wrote to me and said, your school is verging on a cult. Mm. And that was because the young person was coming home saying, oh, I got looking in the eye, Dad, and I got to have good manners, and I got to say this. And I said, now the young person had sort of gone over the top yeah, of it. Yeah. But I actually looked at the letter and I thought, I am actually um, fortunate. I'm blessed to get this letter because yeah. his parents realizing, yeah, this guy's serious. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I think there's some leaders who could just take those simple lessons, you know, looking someone in the eye, greet them, talk a sentence, you know. I think it would solve not all their problems, but it would definitely be a, be a step change. And, and we know there's a lot of talk around uh, and it'd be interesting how you manage that mark around, you know, the, the last couple of years where we've had to go remote, we've had to be distance. Yeah. You, you've not been able to do anything. So, so, cause again, that must've challenged you as a leader as well, because suddenly like a lot of us, and we're all, all three of us are real people, people here. Um, What's 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 I'm interested now and I've raised it. How did you manage with that? Because now you're not able to have that face to face. I can see you. Yeah, I can hear you're passionate, but I I don't feel the body language. So 
how's that how, anything in particular you you did or changed or reinforced uh yeah it's great a great question um i think that the most powerful leaders are outstanding communicators mm -hmm. and that leaders who take their leadership seriously deliberately and consciously work on becoming not <clears throat> showmen but high impact communicators and i'll give you a couple of ways of doing that uh, i think um, storytelling is incredibly important mm -hmm. and if 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 you're if you're on a if, if you're just communicating to people over a computer and they just see a, a face there then that's all they're seeing but if i if i start to say i want you to think of two young boys in a boat and they build this little canoe right up the top of the, um, the source of the Brisbane River, and they're about five years old, and they start taking that boat across, back and across. By the time they're seven, the boat is bigger, and you start creating this story in their heads. Then you disappear on the computer, and people are starting to see the organisational place in their head. Now, if you ask my staff, they would say, oh, yeah, Mark's a storyteller, and, you know, don't get him started because... You'll start throwing metaphors and all sorts of pictures out there. Yeah. And I say, it's it's not, I'm not waffling. I'm actually saying now that I run multiple campuses, whenever I get in front of people, whether it's in person, much more impacting, but on a computer, I want to take, I want to use their minds as a cinema where they start to see, you know, Superman coming to the rescue of a crumbling building or something, you know, and they, and the, the way I tell the story, and I've worked very hard on this, is that people can listen to the story and when they snap out of it, they're thinking, that's us, that's me. So mm -hmm. I think during COVID, I used to put a lot of time and effort into my speaking to the staff on screen and I unashamedly crossed that line where I was telling stories about boats and mountains and lava flow and all that sort of thing. And, and people would, would write to me and say, gee, that really, that really helped me. It, it took me out of the COVID and helped me understand why we're doing what we're doing. So Eric, you'd have thoughts on that too. I, I think that storytelling, metaphorical yeah. leadership, uh, management talks theory, leaders talk um, the cinema of the mind. I think that's what powerful leaders do. Yeah, hundred percent. I've I've spoken with deliberately some leaders that talked about uh, storytelling as a major way to get communications through to people. Now, um, there is an art form to being a good storyteller, and if you haven't practiced it, it can go um, dramatically wrong, or it can lead to um, outcomes and impressions that you're not intending to give so it, it is a practice skill but i think more broadly the uh, and it's it's good that this was brought up that good communication is something that i think is not something that you learn by osmosis whether you're at school or university or tafe and just because you're studying something formally or uh, whether that's um a, a, a certificate in something or or a, or a undergraduate or masters or phd whatever it is you don't automatically become a great communicator. And uh, one guest and I've um, brought up this idea that to believe that the education system gives you the knowledge, skills, and abilities to be a good communicator is not true. 
and that most people learn that on the job or part-time jobs or in in their lives as they grow up and you start growing into becoming a better communicator. But I, I, I have a, a perception, no research to back this up, this is just a personal view, that as technology is changing and as the way we interact is changing, Kevin brought it up with what happened through COVID, that you have to be agile in the way you communicate with people and mm. being able to know when one form of communication is better than another is something that better to learn earlier than not and something very simple like looking someone in the eye, addressing them properly, um, hellos and thank yous and um, making the conversation about getting to understand the other person and listening more than talking are things that, um, you know, I... In my 50s, I understand this because I've been in the world of work for a while, but when you're talking about a young person, they haven't had that level of experience and getting someone geared up well before they hit the world of work with what those skills mean can sell you in a very different way to an employer than not having them. And again, are our schools equipped to do that for our kids? That's not their primary job, and I, I get that. So... um having the capacity to have someone to help you teach that is super important. And whether you're a leader or not, good communication is something you have to work on. So um, my last thought on this is I've met really good storytellers, but they draw on um, those ideas and schemas that are in our heads that make you go, okay, that's the bad guy. That's the good guy. Here's the story. There's a beginning, middle and end. If you don't know that, that, pathway you get that wrong people walk away going what was he trying to say i don't get it you don't want to confuse people either so it's an important skill set but one that needs to be practiced i would say yeah 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 no i think it's a great point you made there and, and again it's one of those things it keeps coming back about you know the that 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 communication that passion um and that persistence you know and, and i'm sure mark you would have covered that off is the message was still the same it was just about you had to, as 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 Eric said, to be agile, you know, and there's an expectation because there have been expectation. If you suddenly start, don't stop doing those things, they're going to start to go, hang on, what's happening here? You know, have we changed? What's, and I think that's a can be a big failure from a leader by going, I've been going down this way and I come over this way and maybe I haven't explained or, and then people get, people get confused. Can I just go? Cause I, I we're going and, and we knew this time would go very quickly here, Mark. So, uh, what are you learning from? So I want to flip over now to, and I've been into a couple of campuses where you've got the um, uh, the wall of fame, you know, where the young people get, and I love that wall with because the businesses get a photo with the student, with the young person, and and things like that. So, is there any particular focus around the leadership of these businesses now to really make this work? Because you know, you could have a great young person set up right, best intention, and it could still go wrong. So, you know, from an industry point of view, is there any work you have to do around there? Or what do you think? You know, if you're a if you are a business owner, um, bringing on a young person and you want to make the success, what's the sort of things they've got to do or, or not do? Uh, the when a when a leader at our organization like a new principal comes into our organization uh i will ask them who's our customer mm. they will say the young person i'll say wrong 
I'll say, oh, well, the parent. I'll say, wrong. And then they're stumped. Mm. I say, sure, they pay the bills, but it's industry. Because if a young person doesn't get employed, it's a failure for us. And we, we're as clear as that. Education, industry, career outcome. Now, that's that's one thing. So getting the principal to think you've got to, sure, the, the parent is a customer and the young person is a customer. But if all you do is teach them in this deliberately different way of the AITC way, you know, 40% at school, 60% in industry, which can be overwhelming for a 15-year-old, mm. let alone the mum, you can get that right. But then if you, um, if you go out to industry and give them a good young person and they're really good, then and you haven't spent the time teaching industry to change the story in their head, then industry will think, my God, this kid's amazing. Let's offer him a job and get him out of school, which is the historical story in their head. So I was talking to one of our leaders the other day because uh, he keeps getting young people stolen from the school. <laughs> you know, These young people turn up and then they, they leave and go full time. Now, some people think, oh, well, that's good. And you say, yeah, but in, in another 10 or 20 years time, they're still going to be complaining about young people who are who just don't have the capacity to take over the business sort of thing, you see. Mm. So in answer to your question, we have to take industry on a storytelling journey in their head as well. Mm. We have to say, if you want to build a pipeline of future young people, then you are going to have to do the whole apprenticeship thing quite differently. And mm. so we have some really clear things called a graduation guarantee. We will not take you on uh, as an employer unless you guarantee the young person is going to finish. Now, and, and of course, when, he, when a, 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 it's easy to sign that, but mm. then when an employer then steals the young person, we won't go back to them. Now, that's painful for us and mm. it's painful for them too. But there's that whole, we have to take young people on a journey, like most schools. I think good independent schools take the parents on a journey as well so the parents realise this is the real world and, you know, your son's not a victim or your daughter doesn't need to be understood by the employer. That's you that needs to understand the employer. And then finally, there's this great massive thing out here called industry who are screaming out for the solution to a problem but have a story in their head that they can keep behaving the same way and then change the outcome. So we have to then work hard at changing the story in their head. There's a number of different ways to do it, and I keep using that word relentless, mm. but we have to change the story in industry's head and that's how we've been successful and we've got industries who keep coming back to us and saying, yep, give me the graduation guarantee, um, I'll sign it. So um, there's there's that whole, and that's a leadership thing. I think you've got to be a good communicator to change that story because it's a really embedded story in industry's mind. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think, you know, you, you've raised that couple of points is, you know, the old paradigm way of working would be as long as you get them placed, as long as you do that, that's fine. You know, that's, and, and I always remember, um, you know, we we had a lot of conversations when we were, you know, I was in the TAFE sector. It is about that. What's that true level of success? It's not necessarily when they leave the door. It's where they are in five, ten years time. That's right. Yeah, that's that's the real. Have they got what they want out of life? But are they now the entrepreneurs and the business leaders? That's your true success. And if you're working in one paradigm, we that just seems so far away. But we can impact that right from now, and I think it's. I think you've really picked up on on those points from there. So just to bring this all together, Mark, we're going to do your your top tips, your top three or five. So I want to just uh, cover those off, and then um, 
Eric and, and myself will just just some key points and we'll let you then have a close off message as well, Mark, before we finish off. So what would be your 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 top handful, three, five from a leadership perspective? Uh okay. I was thinking thinking about this. I think um I learned years ago uh uh I was in America and I was listening to one of the presidents of the United States. And he was asked that question, and I've never forgot his response. He said, leaders do four things. They cast vision. They create a strategy. They build a team. And they say thanks. And people often laugh at the thank you bit. But I think it's what you and Eric were saying before when a really good leader says, I see you. And I appreciate your sacrifice. So I think in terms of that was one, I, I always remember um, yeah. those at Vision. Uh, and I think building a team is the hardest one in there. Uh, built, so, you know, the rest are not so hard, but building a team is the hardest thing. I think um, another piece of advice was um, Vision Leaks. And I think I've said that over, over and over again. Uh, when I hear people say, well, I told them last Monday. Or, you know, I told them last month. And I say, no, you have to, you have to relentlessly. And this is my next point communicate 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 and when you're communicating um or when you do anything in leadership it's not so much about what you do that matters you can tick off all the leadership things but it's the impact you're having so the question to a leader is not what are you doing or what is the impact of what you're doing and of course a lot of leaders that i've talked to so i've never thought about it like that i've just been communicating in this way and both of you guys said yeah you've got to improve your communication style well you might be communicating in one way and it could be just killing everyone mm. um and and so therefore you might be doing something but the impact so always having that sense of how am i actually impacting this organization i think the final thought i've always got i'll say this to my team goes the leader goes the team um, after three years, look at your organisation or your team, that's you. You don't like it, then you change. Don't blame your team um, because your team will become what you are. Mm. And if we don't like to look in the mirror there, then you are going to sh you're going to shrink that organisation down to what you're comfortable with. You're going to shrink your team into something that you can order around, but they'll, they'll never grow. So is that relentless commitment to looking in the mirror and saying, I need to grow and then grow as a leader because your team or your organisation will never go beyond what you are as a leader. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. That's uh, that, that really resonates with, um, I can feel and hear it and see it. I can feel the passion coming, coming through the screen here. And I, I think Eric, it definitely ticks a lot of boxes of, of messages that, that we've had before. So what would be your your takeaways from this conversation, Eric? Oh, okay. Um, firstly, the having a passion for what you do, and it, it does come pretty strongly through the discussion, Mark, that you're passionate about what you do is, in my estimation, 90% of the battle for good leaders that you have to have a passion for what it is that you do. And I think it's uh, very few of us in a lifetime of work find a job that they're passionate about and that sets the tone for that the discussion around culture so it's important and I, I guess if I had to do a, a study of what the culture was where you are Mark I, you could easily find those 
markers in your culture about what it is, what success looks like, what the goal looks like and what the why is. And if those things are lining up, then yeah, I think you're doing your job. And um, as a leader, not you, Mark, particularly, but I'm just saying more generically, um, the last one for me that is important is the what is your impact. So there's a thousand different ways to lead. If you, if you were being honest here, there's no one formula that is correct for every business. It's at the end of the day, can you say organization X achieved outcomes or it had an influence or had an impact and what does that look like? And that that is a test of of um, effective, good leadership into the future. So, yeah, that would be my takeaways, Mr. Bennett. Yeah, no, thank you. And I think, you know, I love the storytelling. Um, I love the relentless. I, I always talk about being persistent but respectful. So I think, you know, so you can relent or being persistent can just go slightly too far. So you, you've got to be the respectful. The communication, I love, and we spoke about this before, the grow as a leader. I think yeah, it's very easy to push down and go get better, do more, but if we're not reflecting and getting the feedback ourselves, um, whether that be a minor mark, you said kids, not young people, that's good, you know, because to me, it's one of those markers, Eric, that the culture is, it's okay to go and tell the CEO that he's used the wrong word, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's a, that, that, that's, a, that's a great marker. And then having worked with a number of your team, they're consistent in their language as well. So it's not the... When I'm in the when I'm in the office with Mark, I say this. But when I'm out in industry, I say this. You know, uh-huh. um, so I think that's that that's a great one, and 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 the whole passion, and you know, I think that's really what's really taken us forward now in a lot of business is is you know we're trying to reignite the why. You know, I think COVID realigned people about why am I keep on doing this. You know, and I think they will come better out of this. The ones that reset now. And it might be a return to what they what you were doing back in 2006 might still be consistent. But a lot of businesses have gone away from that. Mm-hmm. You know, they've gone away from that. And we need to go back and recap. And our, our people are still, a coin a phrase, they're our most important asset. But whether it's people, young people, you know, your staff, your team leaders, or, you know, your customers and the, and the businesses and leaders of the future, um, then... You know, this is where this whole discussion about what are the key traits, key messages is so, so important. So, um, so Mark, what I'd like to do is really thank you. I think that was an excellent conversation um, and um, I can definitely feel the passion. And I know that that resonates all the way through. I think we've really kicked off 2024. Um, please, I say thank you and and thank you team as well, because I think that they are doing a great job and and the young people and we love seeing them across our network and a couple of other networks that we've come across. Um, and I think Eric, that gives us a, a good topic and some good thoughts to take on. So I want to take everybody say thank you for watching the one video and listening as well. Been a fantastic, please follow us, um, go and look at our other, our other links as well. And if you want to reach out to Mark from a leadership point of view or an AITC point of view, would highly recommend you do so. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Kevin.
Thanks again for following today's podcast. I'd like to thank our guest, Mark Hands, for sharing his insights on leadership from a education perspective. I'd also like to thank, of course, my co-host, Kevin Bennett from the Best Practice Network. Thank you for joining us. This has been Eric Perez from the Talking Leadership TV Network. Have a great day, rest of your week, and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of the podcast series.